You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good evening, Southridge. Thank you for joining us tonight. I don't know about you, but I'm so pumped. I was in two life groups today. One was Grace Gang for 20-year-olds to mid-30s, and they were such an amazing group of women. And then I also got to be a part of Gospel Girls, which is a group of girls from 5th to 8th grade, and they were also amazing. I'm just so pumped to be with you guys tonight. And if you are not registered yet to a life group, I want to encourage you to be a part of one this week. You're going to feel pumped. You're going to be encouraged just being around like-minded Christians like yourselves. In Psalm 95, it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath on my anger, they shall never enter my rest. God, we need you in this place. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, and as we think about our week that we've just had and the week that we're going into, as we look around at the world around us, we see so many things that could be discouraging, so many things that could set us back. But Father, as we come into this place where we encounter your presence, where we feel the fellowship of other Christians to encourage and uplift us, I pray as we sing and as we meditate about who our God is, that there is nothing that can stand against you, that there is nothing that can stand against your purpose, your plan for our lives. And Father, as we now commit this time to you, I pray that you be honored and glorified in it. Father, would you work in every heart and every life and every situation that's here. For those that are far from you, may this service bring them back to you like the prodigal son who's wandered in a far country. May they come back during this service. I pray for the one that's so far away from you, they never thought they would ever come back. They never thought they would come back into church, but they find themselves here this evening. And I pray that tonight they would have an encounter with you that is unmistakably divine. Father, I pray for the person that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they experience true life in you. They've chased the world, they've chased the things of culture, and now they're coming to the end of their rope, and they realize that Jesus is and always was the only answer for their life. And so, Father, as we open this holy book, this word may do a great work in our hearts, we pray. And all God's people said, 
amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, greeters. Thank you, life group workers. Thank you, ministry leaders. What a powerful service that we've already started. We could almost have an altar call right now. I know God is already moving in this place. I know that you guys have already come hungry for God's word, and you're ready to hear from God what he has to say to each and every one of us this evening. If you have a copy of God's word, uh, I want to do something right now. So, uh, if you've been a part of our, our services for any length of time, there's kind of been a running uh, theme I've been going through. And so I want to do a little game. But before we do that, let me first just welcome those who are watching online and just welcome you and say thank you so much for being a part of our service. It's great to have you here. And uh, you can play along too online. You can, you can participate. And our online hosts will be glad to play this game as well, okay? So here's, what, here's the ground rules, okay? So everybody can participate, but the ground rules are you have to raise your hand, I have to call on you, all right? That's the ground rules. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts. Can anybody tonight tell me which chapter we're in tonight? Oh, yes, Matt. Oh, so close, so close, so close. But since she, that's pretty much given it away. We're, we're in the next chapter, but Maddie, please, I got a $5 gift card just for you. So yeah, here we go. But don't worry, there's a consolation prize. All right, there's a consolation prize. All right, finish the sentence. But remember, you have to raise your hand. You have to raise your hand, okay? Uh, just like Maddie did, you just gotta shoot up your hand, okay? Uh, history makers, oh, I already messed up my own quote. Finish the first part of it. All right, Megan. There we go, Megan. You can take me out to In-N-Out later on this week. There we go. Excellent, excellent. I love it when we have a copy of God's Word, and I love it when we can take notes. And we're going to be in Acts chapter number 15 tonight, Acts chapter number 15. And I love how God's Word works because what we're going to study tonight, it's neat because I love how God works. As you see what's happening in our country, as you see what's happening in our community, and as you just know, human nature. It's neat when we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through God's word, because God's word is dealing with things that we're gonna encounter. And so in Acts chapter number 15, we're gonna see something that could potentially devastate Christianity. And that's not hyperbole. That's not me over-exaggerating in any way. You're gonna see it in Acts chapter number 15. But as we begin, would you agree that people tend to disagree? Yeah, right? That's just kind of human nature. I think even some of the closest of people would find that they disagree. Even the most agreeable people disagree. Disagreement is everywhere. It seems to me that when we look at disagreement, that there's almost nowadays more disagreement than at any other time that I've been around. Just seems like there's disagreement everywhere about everything. There are disagreements that are petty. There are disagreements that are really over some fairly important things. But it seems today as we look around us that there are not just disagreements in our homes, in our churches, in our civil society, which we're trying to keep civil. But it just seems today people want to disagree and their disagreement seems like now they feel like we got to disagree, but then they don't just disagree, they have to debate about it. Whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask, they can't just disagree, they want to debate you about it. 
And it's not just something, oh, should we go to church or should we not go to church? It can't just be a disagreement. It's like, let's debate this. And have you noticed that disagreement seems to be growing larger and larger in every category, wherever you are? It just seems that disagreement's there. Now, some disagreements are funny. Some, you just gotta be honest. It's funny, some of the things we disagree about. I mean, come on, some of you, I do not know why you are a Niners fan. I just, I just, I don't know why. I don't know. There's disagreement. They're silly. Or I don't know why you're an Oakland A's fan. It's all about the Giants. Come on. All right. And it's just that there, there are certain disagreements that, that, that some are important. Uh, other disagreements that, you know, the original Star Wars trilogy is still the greatest trilogy of all time. The remakes didn't live up to it. So there are silly disagreements, but then there are some disagreements that are actually a big deal. And it seems that today, more than ever, people want to disagree, and they almost have turned it into a sport of who can disagree. I mean, many of us, we just don't want to be on social media during this time. You know why? Because anything we say is going to turn into a disagreement. And you're just like, I can't even say I like this recipe because somebody's going to say, well, that has gluten in it, and that's not vegan, and that's not holistic, and that's not, and you're like, it's a recipe. I didn't want to start a debate. I just thought, if you don't want it, why can't you just ignore it? You know, if you're not interested, just, just leave it, you know, just don't even bother with it. And here's something I want to say as we begin. We all have differences, all of us. Even husbands and wives have differences. My wife, she has differences about how she thinks things should be done, and I have differences. And what can easily happen is we can let our differences divide us. And what's happening right now is that people, and I can take you that it's actually the work of Satan trying to set a wedge between people, between churches, and he's trying his best to divide it. Because you know why? Because you can divide. It's easier to conquer something that you've divided. So Satan right now is working overtime to fracture and splinter families, households, friends, because it seems like what can people actually agree on? And then what happens is we go find our little tribe that we do agree on, and then it's an echo chamber. You know what an echo chamber is? It's where everybody thinks the same, believes the same, and acts the same, so you don't actually have any differences. And you say, no, I'm just going to stay in my echo chamber. And today, everybody just gets in on social media, their echo chamber, or people just get into the things. And then even churches are starting to do this, where they just become this massive echo chamber. And we have these massive disagreements about things. And that's why I think Acts chapter number 15 is so powerful. Notice if you would, verse number one. This is crazy. You see, our differences don't have to divide us. Notice verse number one. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You and I have had petty debates. But to say that somebody cannot be saved, and if you don't know what circumcision is, please see Pastor Missile afterward. He'll be glad to tell you and explain all of that to you after the service. But to say that you cannot be saved if you didn't do that, that is heresy. 
You say, what is heresy? Heresy is taking something and totally perverting it. And here was people, and they weren't just arguing about, hey, whether or not we should go to church or not, outdoors, indoors, whether or not we should wear a mask inside or outside, whether or not we should vote for blue or we should vote for red or we should just not vote at all. This was far bigger than anything else because this has to do with our eternal security. There is nothing bigger to debate about than salvation. And that's what they were gonna have an argument about because here was a group of people saying hey hey all you think all you gentiles think you're saved well unless you have a little piece of surgery done you're actually not saved wait a minute notice what happens verse number two therefore when paul and barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them they determined that paul and barnabas and certain others of them should go to jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. And when, they had been mu- and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. When all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul. Hold on. Do you have a highlighter or a pen for verse number 12? When was the last time you were in an argument and the other person kept silent and didn't just keep silent but they listened and wives please don't elbow your husband because all of us men are totally guilty of this we know this we have a hard time by being silent but yet listening when we're silent we're thinking we're not listening and yet here they were even though they had a huge difference okay because these pharisees who had now received jesus christ did not turn away from their old religious background. Their old religious background simply said, hey, you still have to keep the law of Moses. You got to keep circumcision. You got to keep all these things. But to them, understand, it wasn't just the law of Moses, 10 commandments. Did you know there were over 600 laws that these people were keeping? And they wanted all the new Christians, the Gentiles, to keep them. And it's a very good thing that Paul and Barnabas stood up at this point. Because otherwise, I'd imagine our church might have to have, uh, there's baptism, and then next week there's circumcision, okay? Like, schedule that, all right? It just, there'd be a whole lot of weird stuff going on in the church, okay? I don't want to go to the ministry and, uh, along with my theology degree, have to to figure that one out, okay? So here, Paul and Barnabas, they stand up, and the audience listened, and they were silent, And they heard them declaring the miracles and wonders that God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. 
Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And when this, this words of the prophets agree, just as is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So here we see point number one. There was a dispute that almost destroyed Christianity. Because if you don't have salvation right, you don't have anything right. And the church needs to understand salvation is pivotal. If you were to attend a growth tracks, which is a three-week class, it's kind of baseline. You know, the first thing we cover is salvation because we believe that's the most important thing. We don't want you thinking you're saved. We don't want you guessing you're saved. We want you to know what salvation is. And here the Gentiles were perverting what salvation was. And this is foundational. You don't build a house on the dirt. You build it on a subfloor. You build it on a firm foundation. Your faith is built on your salvation. Many people, they struggle in their Christian life because they're not actually sure of their salvation. And you need to understand that salvation is not just I got baptized once. Salvation is not I was confirmed once. Salvation is not my parents are Christian. It's not my brothers and sisters go to church. Salvation is you repenting of your sin, confessing with your mouth that he is Lord and believing in your heart that he has died, rose again for you. That is salvation. Don't put your faith in anything else other than that. That's what every person needs to make that decision. They need to know what salvation is. So this is huge that Paul and Barnabas said, we've got to stamp this out right now because this could destroy Christianity. Because they were trying to add to Christianity. They were trying to add something to it. But the Bible tells us to earnestly contend for the faith. Many people, when it comes to uh, disagreements, we disagree about petty things, but here's something every Christian actually should take an offense at when we hear somebody explaining salvation, they're adding what you gotta do to be saved. We should correct that. That should be something that we say, no, no, no. Uh, You can't, number one, lose your salvation. Also, you don't need to keep getting saved. Once you receive Jesus Christ, you're sealed with that spirit of promise, Ephesians 4. There's that sealing of the spirit. So understand when Paul and them are talking about salvation, it's bedrock, it's foundational for you and I to understand salvation. To understand where we're putting our hope and our faith. And so in Jude 3, it says to be diligent, to contend for the faith, to fight with things that happen to do with false doctrine, false teaching. And so here, the Apostle Paul becomes a contender. I went to a small Christian school in Fresno, and I didn't know we had a mascot until one day uh, they told me, yeah, our mascot's a contender. And I was like, what's a contender? It was a very small Christian school, and we went there, and we had a few sports programs, not many. And uh, uh, so we'd play, and they would say, yeah, our mascot's a contender. And I always thought, what is a contender? But it's somebody who would fight for the faith. It's somebody who would contend for these things, to wrestle for these things. But understand, we have a lot of Christians who don't want to wrestle with things because we're afraid to uh, cause any division, but there are certain things worth fighting for. Who who gets the last piece of cake is not worth fighting for. 
Whether or not we should uh, uh, have shoes inside the house or not outside the house is not worth fighting for. Whatever your thing is, it doesn't need to lead to a fight. But there are certain things that do. And the Apostle Paul, they showed us what's worth fighting for. And when it comes to theology, when it comes to salvation, they said this, we're going to wade into that. There was no small dissension. Because they understood this is a fundamental error. Because salvation plus works equals misery. That's what it equals. Miserable. Because now it's up to you to earn your way to heaven. It's, it's totally on you. All the pressure is on you to be good enough for your good works, for your effort, for you to hopefully at the end of your life, your good works will outweigh your bad works. That's a miserable way to live, to never have certainty of something. Many of you have maybe one time or another been in a relationship and you didn't know if that person was going to stay with you or not. There was that uncertainty. Well, you don't want to have that with your salvation. You want to know that there's certain things that are certain in life. But understand, salvation plus works is misery, but salvation plus nothing equals mercy. Salvation is God's merciful gift. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's God's mercy to us. You see, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I love how Peter even points out that nobody could keep the law. Go with me, book of Exodus, in your mind. Moses is on the mount. He's receiving the first copy of the Ten Commandments. Anybody remember what his brother was leading the other two and a half million uh, Hebrews that are recently released out of Egypt in doing? They made a golden calf, and they were breaking about half of the commandments that Moses just wrote. So he comes down, sees what's going on, sees his brother leading them, and his brother's like, this gold calf, we just threw gold into the fire, and we, this had just appeared. His brother was like, it just appeared, Moses, I promise. It just came out of the fire looking like that. And, and, and it's like, you just saw God do all these mighty wonders in Egypt, split the Red Seas, and now you want to worship a baby cow? It's like... Sin makes us dumb. It really does. It really makes us dumb. And right there, from the very beginning, that's what Peter's saying. We couldn't keep it then. What makes you think we could keep it now? So why are we going to heap it on these new Christians for them to, for them to do it? Because salvation in and of its own is beautiful. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to change it. You don't need to uh, do anything with it. To add to salvation would be like taking my three-year-old son, Cain, to an art museum. Anybody ever been to an art museum here? A few of you. Uh, I, I don't think I've been to an art museum. The closest I ever came was to a Thomas Kincaid uh, museum right before he passed away. His, his, uh, where he worked was in Morgan Hill, went there. And he has all the, all the works of art. Somebody that worked at a church I was at said, hey, come do a tour. So I walked through, and you could see all of his pieces that weren't quite finished. And imagine if I could take Cain and I could hand him some crayons and say, Cain, I think that picture needs some help. Go help it. That'd be crazy, right? Or if I were to take Cain to an art museum and see a Van Gogh and say, Cain, this Van Gogh is ridiculous. Come on, go help that Van Gogh out. You'd say, he can't, it's already perfect. Why would you add anything to Van Gogh? Why would you add anything to these artworks? Exactly. Why are you adding to salvation? It's for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast in his good works. So salvation is key. And I know many of you have grown up in the church, many of you know that, but understand, this is key to our foundation because there's a lot of churches and there's a lot of people that they'll just say, oh man, just receive Jesus, just, just kind of make, and they don't understand what they're receiving. They don't, they don't understand what salvation is, that I'm turning from death to life, they're being told, hey, just go live your best life now. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Salvation is not me live my best life. It's Jesus living his best life in me because I can't live the best life. You can hashtag it. You can quote it. You can go and stand in front of some nice mansion, just me living my best life. You can go to a car dealership, lean up against the camera, just living my best life. You can go by, so wherever you're at, your friend's nice kitchen, me just living my best life. No, you can't. We know the real you and you know the real us. You know we can't do it. So why are we trusting it? It's a miserable way to live. But Jesus comes in and Jesus says, hey, it's me plus nothing else. It's just me and my mercy. And this is what they decided on. It's what they debated about. But here's even something else you need to be aware of. The Bible says we're not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're justified. We are only justified by that. But also, Paul warns later in Galatians, he says this, but if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what you, we have preached to you, let him be accursed. You know what this means? This is why we don't follow other occults or other religions. You say, why? Because if they don't have salvation right, it's heretical. See, church, we've sat under preaching for too long that doesn't call out the things that are heresy that'll damn men's souls to hell. And so we need to step back and say, wait a minute, salvation's bedrock. And if I don't have that set, I can't build my Christian life off of it. And some of us, we didn't ever receive why salvation is key. And Paul even reinforces, if anybody else tries to teach you anything else, which is, remember the people that come to your door? Hey, I have a free book I'd like to give you. White shirts, name badge says elder. I love that, I love it. I want a name badge that says elder. And then they stand there, hey, we got this free book for you. Would you like to have, it's called Watchtower. You get the uh, Jehovah's Witness. And understand, talk to them about salvation. When anybody comes to your door, ask them, hey, what do you guys believe about salvation? Ask the Buddhists about salvation. Ask the Mormon about salvation. Ask the Scientologists about salvation. Ask them, ask them, ask them. For too long, Christians are like, let's all just, let's all just agree to disagree. No, not when it comes to salvation. Then what you're doing to the blood of Jesus is you're trampling his precious blood that was stained and that ran down the cross because you just want people to like you. Well, Jesus said, I don't care about you liking me. I'm gonna die for you so you don't have to spend eternity in hell. And yes, he talked about hell more than any other topic in the New Testament. You may be uncomfortable with it. You may not like it, but Jesus was trying to save you from that place, not condemn you to that place. So salvation's key, folks. It's key. And I know that there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of people that they just try to wipe it away. Just let's not even believe it, that a loving God wouldn't do that. Hold on, you social justice people. You're all about social justice here, but yet God can't be just. The soul that sinned, it shall die, is what the Bible says. You're all about justice except for him. Be consistent about your hypocrisy. I know this is hot. I know. Somebody today came in and they they were like, hey, what's the message gonna be like? I said, I don't know if it'll be exactly encouraging. I don't know if you're gonna be blessed, but it's the Bible and we need to go through it and we're just going because today you're seeing our country fractured, seeing churches fractured, families fractured, and we don't know how to handle debate or argument or dissension. So here we go. So we covered the first thing, Paul and Barnabas, they're gonna wrestle with salvation. But I love what happens. 
Notice this, verse number seven. And when they had much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened. Write this down if you're taking notes, please. Disagreements are inevitable. Disrespect is optional. Would you post that on your social media this week? Disagreements are inevitable. Disrespect is optional. If you name the name of Jesus, you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God. You do not have to be disrespectful in your dissent. We can be civil and oppose those that are wrong. Right now, we are protesting against the works of the devil. We're protesting against our county. We're saying no. We know what the Bible says. We know what is right and wrong. We will stand on these things. These are the truths we've got to stand on. So disagreements are inevitable, but disrespect is optional. This could save your marriage. This could save your job. This could save a friendship. This could save your church. This could save your uh, relationships with others. If you would practice that because they were silent and they listened, that's a sign of respect to listen to the one who's talking. That's a sign of respect to hear them out. You see, I love what Zig Ziglar once said. He said, you can disagree without being disagreeable. This is a lost art in the Christian community. I don't expect those who do not know Jesus to be different because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them who can help them live differently, who can help them deal with when they've made mistakes, when they've done wrong, or to have extra grace or to show extra mercy. We have the Holy Spirit's power inside of us, and he helps us to navigate difficult situations. He will give us the wisdom. He will give us the help. So we, it's on us to say, you know what? I can still Even if I disagree, I don't have to be disagreeable. I love this. Here's what, when you come with a disagreement, it helps us become more aware of of our differences. We're different. We're different. You see, the Pharisees, they were just acting on their differences. They didn't know any better. Here's the real deal. You know why Paul and Barnabas, even though they dissented with them about salvation, did you know they weren't mad at the people actually? They weren't. Because Paul was a Pharisee. He knew why they were struggling with all of this. Paul said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was born the eighth day, circumcised the eighth day. He said, I check all the boxes. So Paul can show them grace. Why? Because he knows what they're going through. Their whole life they've been taught something, and they're just carrying it into the next thing. But Paul knew, hey guys, you can't keep carrying this in. We got, we got to stop this here and now. So Paul was made aware of their differences. But sadly, we live in a day and age where giving others a piece of our mind brings us peace of mind. It's okay, I don't mind if it'd be quiet. I don't don't need to have a rah-rah service, I don't. Because I'm tired of seeing our country torn apart because people just wanna fight. And it's the church who says, no, we'll preserve unity. We will fight for unity. Now, does that mean we will capitulate? Absolutely not. There are certain things we as Christians stand on that we will not fold on. Even though this week the county, they sent me a second notice of a $14,000 bill. I asked their lawyer, I said, what's this? They said, the lawyer, the county's just coming after you guys. Calvary Chapel here, they're already over at $100,000. I said, okay, we just keep going. We just keep preaching. We're not gonna stop Because I know God is up to something great. 
I know God is about to do a breakthrough. I know God is about to move in a special way. And so guess what? I don't need to find peace of mind by giving somebody else a peace of my mind. I love this, Ephesians 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Is that your goal during this season? Hey, you can vote for Trump, that's great. If you're gonna vote for the other guy, please talk to me. I'm, I'm being honest. I, I, I don't wanna see any more babies aborted. I don't. You say, man, you shouldn't talk about politics. I know, but it's splitting our country in part for no reason. For no reason. You say, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's not get all mad at people. And then let's go to God's word on it. Some of you are going back to your education. You're going back to your feelings. You're going back to everything. And I'm just like, hey, as a pastor, I love you, but I just got to open up God's word. California aborts over 300 babies a day. I'm not okay with that because they're harvesting organs. And I know somebody's going to send me an email, somebody's going to send me a message, and they're like, well, actually, no, there's actually, da, 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 there's this many people that they're, they're, they're abused, and then they have babies. That's actually, statistically, less than 1%. Less than 1%. So don't give me that reason that it's okay now to abort all these children. Don't give me that reason. Don't give me that reason why you think Bill SB 145 is okay for our state. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. I believe that there's an authority how a Christian behaves. And get this, get this, get this. You see what James does. You say, who is this guy James? This guy James is an important character. Because this is not James who was executed. It's not that James. This James is the half-brother of Jesus. And notice something. For anybody in the Catholic Church, this is why uh, you can stand on good authority that Peter was not the first pope. He was not. He wasn't because of this passage. This is free. This is when you're talking with another good Catholic. You can stand on this and say, hey, uh, notice who Peter listens to. He listens to James. James was actually the pastor of the first church, not Peter. First Catholic Pope is not Peter. It's James is the first pastor. And notice that everybody listens to James. James writes the book of James. And notice what James does. He quotes another book. It's Amos chapter two, verse word for word. In Amos chapter number two, there was a prophecy that the Gentiles shall be saved. And James stands up and says, guys, it's happening. Gentiles are being saved. And in that prophecy, it never said that they had to keep all the works of the law. And James did something profound. When he got into a disagreement, where did he go? Did he go to CNN? Did he go to some uh, Daily Wire? Did he go to some website? Did he go to his education? Did he go to anything? Did he go to his magazine? Did he go to his friends? Did he go to his think tank? Where did James go in his disagreement? Answer out loud, please, please, where did he go? Thank you. And so should we. Anytime we have a disagreement, it's not, hey, let me go pull up this website and this tweet. It's let me open up this word and let me preach this word. Let's talk about this word. What does this word say to do? What is this word calling us to do? And when we look at this word, if it contradicts our belief, 
if it contradicts our upbringing, if this word contradicts what we've been taught through our education or what we, or the friends or the groups that we like, then we say, you know what? We default to this. I began the book of Acts. I began the book of Acts and I said, today people make decisions based on three things. First of all, they base all their decisions on what they assume is right. What they assume is right. Okay? God has given every human being, whether a child of God or not, you have a sense of right and wrong. You do. Okay? Now, many people right now through uh, relativism are trying to strip away from that. We're trying to, they first said we were from animals, now they want us to go back to acting like animals. All right? Now, we understand that we don't go based on what we assume is right, or they go on what is accepted by culture. And you've seen a lot of places just, hey, I'm gonna shut down the church because culture just kind of wants me to. Even though every indicator says church should be open, we need church open, now more than ever. Every indicator, less than 5% across the population. You can, we can argue, we can debate, we can go back and forth. We can, we can, we can do that. Afterward, I'll meet you, it'll be fine. We'll have a good time. Understand, we can, we can go through that. But people are dying, going to hell, and more and more people are not watching online, so where are people gonna hear the truth? That's just it. Satan doesn't want people hearing the truth. Thy word is truth. So where do we go for truth? We go to the authority of God's word. But today, for the last hundred years, this book has been under more attack from Christians than any other book. I'm not worried about Voltaire, the French philosopher, who said, in my lifetime, I will destroy the Bible and it'll forever be gone. You can look it up. Voltaire, he said, this book will be gone, it'll be done. And you know what they did with Voltaire's mansion? They turned it into a printing place where they printed these. <laughs> Amen, glory to God. That goes back to that song. What the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it for good. So be careful what you say against God. So understand, we come back to the authority of God's word, not to humanists, not to the popularist, not to the futurist. We come to the word of God and we say, God, and this is what we do. We pray what the psalmist prayed. Search me, O God. Try me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me, O God. He never once points the finger, never once gets on his tablet and blows somebody up because they're gonna vote blue or red. He never goes and says, hey, well, you need to do this and you should be like this. No, 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 stop, stop. As Christians, we say, you know what? For once, let's get back to this because there's enough preaching out of churches that is not preaching because they never opened this. Or they have such a watered down translation of the Bible that it's just simply a paraphrase, which is just man's ideas that they took some scriptural thoughts and it's not an actual Bible. Understand folks, we're living in a day where we've gotta say, wait a minute, what do we actually believe? Here's what as Christians we should believe, the blood atonement. You say, what's that? That Jesus' blood covers our sin. Just like the picture of Old Testament sacrifice, there was always a blood covering. We believe in blood atonement. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in these things. We believe in the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe they're a Trinity. If you believe that, you can't be a Mormon because Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers, which skews up the Trinity. Now it's a quad. I don't know, it's four. Uh, so understand, we believe these things. We believe in that there should be a separation between church and state. We believe these things. These are things that we go to God's word on. They are theological things. We believe in the inerrancy of scripture. 
We believe that this book, now some people have a hard time with inerrancy of scripture. What does that mean? Let me clarify what inerrancy of scripture means. It means that they didn't make a mistake. It wasn't their ideas. We believe that all scripture is given by God all scripts are given by inspiration by God, meaning it's God's breath. This wasn't just Moses just like, hey, I'm going to write five books. What should I write about? I want to get on the New York Times bestseller list. Let me write a book of Exodus and Deuteronomy where the Levites are going to have to deal with pustules and they're going to have to cover it. Then they're going to have to clean themselves for seven days. That'll be great midnight reading. Some of you haven't read Deuteronomy. It's in there. Trust me. No. God told them to write it down. Now. People love to credit and say, what about the mistakes in the Bible? What about the contradiction in the Bible? Let's have a debate about those. If you think they're there, let's talk about it. Because I promise you, your secular professor will find it, and you're going to find some video, and they're, oh, well, this contradiction, this contradiction, this contradiction. And that's why Christians nowadays, because Satan has destroyed our foundation, which is the word of God, and once he's destroyed this, he's free to lay waste to our marriages, because now marriages is now open for whatever, just anything. And, and, and we were told, we were told, oh, well, it'll stop with just, you know, if guys want to marry guys and girls want to marry girls, it'll stop there. Bill SB 147, 145 opens it up so it won't stop there. It's progressive, it keeps moving, and understand, we are living in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're headed down those days, but what happened? Christians don't know the word of God. And so what happens, instead of opening up the Bible and saying, hey, what does the Bible say? And husbands, fathers, it's up to us to teach them and train our children in what is right. It's up to us to say, hey, this is what you should think. This is how you should behave. This is what the word of God says. This is our final authority for faith and practice. But today, Christians don't. See, James was wise. Why? Because he went back to the word of God. He said, hey, we're having a disagreement right now. We're upset right now. So we need to come back to God's word. Christians should always go back to the Bible. That's what we go to. But today, I can show you a lot of preachers that they won't even reference the Bible or they'll totally take it out of context. One major preacher I was listening to one time said, oh, there was a man just like Abraham that God came to him first to say, to offer the Abrahamic covenant, what would be the equivalent? And he turned it down, and that's why we have Abraham. He's one of the most well-known preachers in our country, and he has a global platform. That's heresy. I thought, man, I've never heard that. When something is said you've never heard, whether it's me or somebody else in your life group, say, let's go to God's word on this. We're, we're, we're a Bible-believing church. We're a Bible-believing church, which means we open the Bible and we say, what does God's word say about this situation? And I know sometimes we just, well, I need it encouraging and I need to feel good and I need this. No, you, you and I need to engage our minds because today people are being led astray by false narratives about God's word. Because we want to be popular. There's another person who wrote a whole book, and I've shared this with you, about a verse that's not even in the Bible. He made it up. He had somebody on his staff translate their own version of the Bible. And then his own translator said, when asked where did they get their original manuscripts, he said, well, we got Paul's original writings out of the Aramaic. Only problem is Paul never wrote in Aramaic. Guys, I can't make this stuff up, and yet Christians are falling for this stuff, and we wonder why we're being led astray by all these things. 
Because if you don't have salvation and the word of God right, we're gonna be easily led astray. This is truth. Today, everybody's looking for the truth. I'm telling you, if you have a Bible, you're holding it. And this is why I'm encouraging, get a copy of God's word. Read it and look it over. Let God's word saturate you. So thirdly, don't let a disagreement lead to a different direction. Notice if we would, verse number 36. So they resolved that argument, and we're gonna come back to how they resolved it. But notice this. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take him with them, one who had departed from them in Pamphylia. Now the word departed is the same military word as a deserter. So Paul said, no, 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 I'm not gonna have a deserter again because that's the same Greek word as a deserter. So the same penalty that you would show a deserter in our military that's on the battlefield, Paul is showing the exact same uh, punishment to John Mark. He said he's a deserter and should be treated almost as if he deserted the military and there's gonna be a court-martial. That's the strong language Paul's using when he said he departed. Let's continue reading. Then the, and the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed from being commended by the brethren by the grace of God. The dynamic duo splits up and never comes back together. Here's the deal. In verse number one, we have a necessary theological debate. At the end of the same chapter, they fought, they had a disagreement, they had an argument over nothing. And they split over it. How, why was there such a different outcome? Why the different outcome? And first of all, moving quickly, we're gonna wrap things up. Understand this, the council wanted conversation more than conflict. Their whole posture. Hey, let's, let's dialogue. Let's talk through this. Let's work through this. Let's not let it stop us. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk through what is right and what is wrong. Understand, when it comes to politics, please, everybody, register to vote. Christians, we're famous for never getting involved. You should. But vote based on biblical values, not what you got out of a public education system. There is so much humanism. There's so much uh, uh, about the origins of man, which totally takes on this new meaning for us, and we lose our identity. So we should vote based on this book, not a blue pamphlet or a red one. We vote based on this as Christians. You know, 50% of Christians don't vote. 50%. 50%. If you're not registered, you can go register afterward. You need to vote. It should be a responsibility for every child of God. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how to vote. I would love to talk to you about it. I'm not being facetious, I'm not being sarcastic, I'm not being threatening. I'd love to just talk with you about it. See, this council wanted a conversation more than a conflict. Also, the council wouldn't let the conflict become, um, keep them from being convinced. They always maintain a spirit that says, my heart is open, my heart is open, Hey, there should always be a good circle of some debate going on and let the best idea win, except if it contradicts scripture. If it contradicts scripture, we let God's word win in everything. You see, today we're all about, well, what is about expedient? What'll keep the most people happy? No, we go based on God's word and that's where the council worked. They said, I'm, I'm, I'm open to being convinced, but they didn't even stop there. They allowed it so that they could stay open-minded. 
See, James was keeping them open-minded. See, that's what Christians are supposed to do. We say, you know what, I can, I can have a conversation, and then you could tell the person, hey, look, guys, we're gonna be narrow, but I'm gonna be about that narrow, okay? That's about how narrow I'm gonna be on this thing. And I'm, I think you would be surprised at how clear God's word can actually be on situations. It's clear on marriage. It's clear on parenting. It's clear on governance in the church. It's clear on government. The Bible covers a lot. I was taught early on to read a proverb every day. Proverbs is your wisdom for the day. Proverbs 15, verse number one. It'll talk about, hey, uh, be slow to wrath, slow to speak. It'll, it'll give uh, principles that'll help you and I. But yet when it comes to God's word, many Christians, we just aren't in it and we wonder why we're being led astray. We wonder why so many Christians are just walking away. You see, they even had a conviction, but they didn't let it get in the way of solving the conflict. The Gentiles had a conviction you know what a conviction is? It's something you say, I'll die on that hill. It's something they were so, oh, this means so much to us. But even then, they said, you know what? We're willing to change. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to see things differently. The Bible says the God of this world hath blinded them. And if you don't believe that, it's true. I watched one church on the 4th of July weekend. They literally, instead of preaching God's word, they opened up J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, book and they had somebody with a wizard staff on the platform this is what we call magic this is what we call witchcraft and the pastor brought it up on the platform and they were going to speak this witchcraft over racism they said Gandalf when he was crossing the bridge in the first book he said thou shalt not pass and they were going to speak this out like this is going to end racism. Uh, you're inviting demonic presence into your church service is all that you're actually doing. That is not biblical. That's the exact opposite. So how did Christians not, not say, wait a minute, hold on. I like J.R.R. Tolkien. Good books. The guy was a great friend of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis writings, incredible. But hold on. Church should be about the Bible, not J.R.R. Tolkien. But where was the Christian? Because this is a huge church mega church thousands and thousands of people and there was a pastor just like this a normal thing the lady had a a a a wizard's robe on and a wooden staff i was like does it get any more clear where the church has come where we're headed folks we need truth we need truth and i know we come to a church and hear a message like this it's like oh i don't know pastor i'm offended Let me give you a verse. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I grew up with seven siblings. There was fights every five minutes. And I figured out why my parents had seven kids. I really did. I really did. It's so somebody else other than them would punish us. They knew if I have enough kids, they will punish each other. And I know what my parents did. They just closed the door. Thank you, Lord. They're dealing with it. They're, 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 I don't care if the house breaks apart. They will discipline each other. But my mom would always say, because we'd always fight, we'd always argue. We'd always fight, and there was never enough food. And so my mom would say, hey, whatever's left, one person cuts it, the other person has to pick, gets to pick first. That's how you cut it fairly. That's a good little, little thing there. If two people are fighting over the last brownie, the person who cuts it, the other person gets to pick first. So if somebody picks a, cuts it too big or too small, uh, then you know what's going to happen. 
So we cut it fair. But my mom would always quote this. Whenever we were fighting, she would just, and, and mothers, you are amazing because you know there's a fight going on anywhere in the neighborhood. And I wouldn't even see my mom, but I would just hear through a window, hear through a bedroom, hear from out behind some tree somewhere. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And I'm just like, man, mom, really? When he's talking about the law, he's just not talking about the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's talking about the word of God. He's talking about this book. Christians, when are we gonna get into this book? Are we gonna wait till they start saying you can't have this too? Pastor, that's so extreme. They're saying we can't go to church. Sean Fecht, Fecht, Foyt, Fecht, I don't know how you pronounce it. He's been going all over. He, uh, three, three weeks ago, he went to Sacramento and he had 12,000 people show up for a worship service at the Capitol. So he's traveling to all the major cities and he's got a We Will Worship camp. So he goes to Portland and he leads worship services. There's preaching, there's baptism, there's salvation, there's gospel. Thousands of people are showing up. And then he goes to Chicago this weekend. Mayor Lightfoot, who the night before had 65 murders, sends tons of police for it. They had lines and lines of white minivans with police officers just getting out to surround them to shut it down. And Sean was just like, the police are saying we're gonna go to jail if we start a worship service. So he's like, give me my guitar. I was like, yes. He didn't say, give me my bullhorn. He's like, give me my guitar. They said, we're going to jail. So give me my guitar because I'm going to worship because that's what this city needs. And he said, what the city of Chicago needs is not more murder. And he's saying, these cops, what they need is to know that we're for them. We're for this city. And he said, we're going to preach and we're going to sing. We're going to pray. And the whole time the mayor's like, shut it down, shut it down as we're being surrounded by police. So that's when Christians, we need to say, you know what? Enough is enough. The days are coming, folks. The days are coming. And Christians are woefully ill-prepared. It's sad because I love technology, but I'm afraid these devices have come between us and the Savior. I know you can read your Bible on your phone. I know you can do that. But I also know you get something called push notifications. I also know you get something like text messages because you have friends. And I know you get alarms and chirps and beeps. And all of a sudden, your mind now goes down a rabbit hole. I know you get emails from work. Many of you in the tech industry, you work so many hours. You work so hard. And then when you open God's word, there's something refreshing because nothing beeps at me. I can just focus on this. I heard a story when I was little about a blind woman. She couldn't read the Bible. And then she learned Braille and she could read the Bible. So she would pass her fingertips over and over and over the Bible. She did it so much, she wore calluses on the tips of her fingers. She began to weep because she said, I can't read the Bible. I can't read God's word. Because the calluses on my fingers, I can't feel the edges of the words. I can't read my Bible. The story goes that she was weeping, she was crying, she was saying, God, this word means so much. This word is so precious. Do you know how many people gave their life so we could hold this? You know how many people died so that we could have a completed copy? John Wycliffe gave his life for this 
so that we could have the Word of God in English. And that old lady, she opened up her Bible and then she just put her face in it. And when her lips hit the page, she found she could read it with her lips. She found she could read the Word. She would just pass over it with her lips because she wanted God's Word. We're hungry for everything these days, aren't we? We're hungry for culture. We're hungry for movies and entertainment and news sites, for conversation, for tweets and notifications and likes and, and, and all kinds of things. But we're not hungry for this. We're not hungry for the old-time book. The book, Live Right, How to Act Right. This old book, Sworn and Torn. This old book that we used to send our men and women into battle with and they would want the Bible. They wanted to know God's word was with them as they went off into battle. But yet we have Christians today, you don't know where your Bible is. You just think, well, I'll download it on the app store. I'll just have it ready. There's something about walking in with God's word and you say, Pastor, you're so old school. I'm okay with that. I can disagree with you and not be disagreeable. I'm okay. I just think there's something special. We bring God's word into God's house and we say, family, this is important because I want to one day hand off Bibles to my children that are marked up and noted and highlighted. And so after I'm gone and they don't know what to do, they can open up this book and say, that's what dad and the Bible would have done. I'll do that. Something precious about it. Something precious about this word. I was at a church where a man began to talk and teach about the Bible. And he brought pages in of original manuscripts that had blood all over it because they're hundreds of years old. And people literally had died trying to preserve them. But yet Christians today, we want to fight and bicker. And Paul and Barnabas were wrong the way they separated. Historians and theologians agree. They had just solved the greatest conflict in Christianity, but they couldn't solve this. They couldn't get over that. They couldn't figure out how to work with John Mark. Are we gonna let, are we gonna fracture church? As I'm seeing our nation torn apart, and if we just say, you know what, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is unity. Remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, may they be one as we are one. Who was the they? It was the church. He was praying for us to be one. But church, we've got to work through all the junk that Satan has fed us, all the junk we've allowed into our life. Sometimes you just, you just got to get disgusted by it. You just got to say, you know, I don't want any of this world in me anymore. I don't want any sin anymore. I don't want to be around this anymore. The other day, I, I don't think it's wrong to, to listen to music that's not necessarily Christian, but the other day it was on, and I just didn't want it. I wanted something godly. I wanted something Christian. I wanted something that fed my soul, not, not stole my peace. I didn't want to watch what was happening on the news. I just want to know what other preachers were saying. We've got to come back to some foundational truths. See, there will always be a degree of disagreement, but you and I don't always have to have the debate about our differences. You see, if you have Jesus, you have truth. Let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. Grace, Heavenly Father.
God, as messages like this, when we come to Acts 15, I think are so timely, but I think they're touching because we all have our areas where we disagree. And even Christians now would even disagree about the Bible. We disagree about points and things we see in it. And it seems like where's our common ground? And so Father, help us to come back to your word. Help us come back to these simple truths. Help us come back to things that, that are transcendent beyond us. Help us come back to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. We're gonna sing an old hymn and the altar will be open up front. Maybe there's a disagreement you have going on in your life right now or there's a circumstance. And right now you wanna make it right. You can turn your seat into an altar or you can come to this altar. But right now, let's spend a time during our invitation.
I love that old hymn. He is great. No matter what happens, he's great. No matter what's going on, he's great. And we need to declare that. We need to know it in our heart and in our soul. If this is your first time at South, we're so honored and blessed that you attend our services. On your way out, we would love for you to stop by the Information Center. We have a gift for you. If you'd, we'd love for you to fill out a Connect card. We've got a gift for you. We want you to stay connected. If you haven't joined a life group, we'd love for you to join a life group. You still can. There's still information to join one. We'd love to see everybody plugged in. There was two great life groups that already kicked off. So excited for them. They just had a great turnout. We're doing a different format where it's like preview type service. You can go in person or you can watch via Zoom. We want to make sure that you still stay, stay connected but also as safe as you'd like to. So please sign up for one. And then I'm going to tell you about one final life group I'd love for everyone to be involved in. This will be happening uh, beginning next Sunday. It's a three-week life group. I think it's so important that you and I know how to share our faith, that we know how to witness to others. We have little invite cards, and we've changed our invite cards because the back of them, we put something we call the plan of salvation. See, salvation is not just something that Oh, yeah, I did that once. I was baptized once. No, salvation. I need to know where that comes from. And so all of our invite cards, now when you pass them out, you could tell somebody, hey, just read those verses. And if you're convicted, pray that prayer and then tell me about it. We want you to know how not only you could be saved, but how to lead others to the Lord. So we're going to be doing a three-week class. It's beginning next Sunday. It'll be at the office, or you can join us via Zoom. I encourage you to kind of be in person if you feel comfortable with it, but if not, join us via Zoom. Sign up in the back, and I'm going to bribe you because there's food back there, all right? So please, stop by and look at it. Sign up. It's three weeks. Three-week commitment. It'll be at 1030 every Sunday morning. Love to have you there, or at least join via Zoom. It's a three-week class. Love to have you attend. And then, uh, each week, our church, we take up an offering. If you feel so led, just drop it in the offering basket on your way out. So thankful for what God is doing and how he's providing. But pray for our church. Continue to pray. Like I said, this week, I got a second notice that the county's trying to send us a $14,000 bill. I already talked to our lawyer. And so it's a prayer battle. We know what's going on. We're aware of it. They have no grounds to do it. It's arbitrary. They're fining us because of something that we didn't file on our property. We didn't file a form on our property. I said, I would love to file a form on our property. Where is this property? And they said, this property is 2003 Center Road. And I was like, oh no, 2080 Center Road. I was like, oh, we have a property there. What a blessing. God provided, amen, fast works. So I looked it up. They're fining us because we didn't file a form for a property that is actually, apparently, they owe us money because Andrew P. High School is on our property, apparently, that the county of Santa Clara says is ours. So I'm gonna say, hey, I'll pay your 14,000 if I get that property, no problem. So you just pray for that. It's something where they've, they've sent two notices and, and they're looking for ways to stop, stop what God is doing. Now I know what some of you think, pastor, what if we're just nice, we just, we just love them. Folks, we're past that. We're past that. We tried back in April. We tried everything we could. You gotta understand, our county, when Pastor Rob went to go pray, they asked him to pray. They said, you can't pray in Jesus' name. That's our board of supervisors. They don't wanna hear the name of Jesus. They don't. If you go to pray there, they say, you can't pray in Jesus' name. You can pray in the name of Allah, Buddha, Krishna, Scientology, but you cannot name the name of Jesus. They're not our enemy, they're the opportunity, but just understand, this is not something, well, just 
Pastor, go bake them some scones or something. Go give them some food, you know, and like that'll win them over. No, it won't. A church doing what we're called to do, following our rights and saying, you know what? We're going to keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. Anyway, God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful night. Greet somebody if you feel safe on the way out. Stay positive. Stay encouraged. We're on the winning side. The battle is the Lord's. God bless you. Sign up on your way out. Grab some treats. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.